Welcome to another episode of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski. And today we're going to talk about a condition that you probably see more often in the emergency department than you might think. Vocal cord dysfunction, also known as paradoxical vocal fold motion. And this is a clinical phenomenon that presents with a lot of anxiety and can really mimic other conditions such as asthma or croup. It's really a, a clinical phenomena rather than one specific or strictly defined clinical diagnosis. So there's a lot of crossover, and I'll talk about that in detail. Here's an example of how a patient with vocal cord dysfunction might present. So you are the friendly neighborhood emergency room provider working in the middle of the night. You get a patient who awoke from sleep with difficulty breathing. Parent went in to see the young adolescent and heard them making some very concerning noises, which they interpreted as wheezing. They called 911. En route, the patient received an albuterol treatment that did not make a difference. Once the patient arrives in the room, they're starting to calm down, and a helpful triage nurse has given them a brown paper bag to breathe in because the patient looked very anxious. By the time you arrive in the room, the patient's symptoms have spontaneously resolved. Or, how about this one? It's the middle of the afternoon, you're in the emergency department, and you are seeing a cross-country runner who, in the middle of practice, developed difficulty breathing. He has no prior history of asthma, and he's been running cross-country for the past three seasons. Several minutes into training, he developed difficulty breathing, and he looked pretty distressed and labored, and his coach called the trainer over, and they called 911, and he was brought to the emergency department by ambulance. His symptoms quickly resolved without any interventions via EMS or in the emergency department. I have a sinking suspicion that those cases sound sort of familiar if you've spent any time in the emergency department. But before we talk about vocal cord dysfunction in detail, Let's go ahead and get some physiology out of the way. So true wheezing is a high-pitched, musical, primarily expiratory sound. It's caused by intrathoracic airway obstruction. Common causes, asthma, bronchiolitis, CF, foreign body. You've heard it before, and you'll hear it again. Strider is a high-pitched, inspiratory sound. It's caused by partial obstruction of the upper airway, and in vocal cord dysfunction, it's misinterpreted by parents as wheezing. So tracheomalacia and croup are common examples, but vocal cord dysfunction is technically strider. So when you hear this noise, patients or parents are going to describe it as wheezing because that's a term that's more out in the vernacular. But in reality, you've got paradoxical adduction of the vocal cords during inspiration. Now, in other patients, less commonly, you'll see abnormal continuous inspiratory and expiratory sounds. This is due to spasmodic closure of the vocal cords with adduction during both inspiration and expiration. Again, vocal cord dysfunction is commonly misdiagnosed as asthma. Often, you'll suspect the diagnosis after multiple visits to the emergency department for the episodes or during an evaluation for severe asthma. It's a functional disorder of the airway. It is not synonymous with a psychogenic disorder. Overall, you'll see it in more females than males, and these multiple phenotypes that I alluded to earlier have a lot of crossover. 
So you've got a version that's spontaneous. This is dyspnea and inspiratory strider, again, most often described as wheezing by families at unpredictable intervals. Possibly it could be panic or anxiety induced or fight or flight kicks in and it makes the symptoms worse. This leads to urgent visits to the emergency department, multiple 911 calls, and the patients really think that they're going to die. About 14% of cases are exercise-induced. These are adolescent athletes, predominantly young females, during competitive activities. And these aren't just weekend warriors. These are your cross-country athletes, your elite runners, your really aerobically fit athletes. It's transient, it's relieved with rest, but it really interferes with their athletic activities. These elite athletes I alluded to earlier with vocal cord dysfunction are less likely to have a history of reflux, psychiatric diagnoses, dysphonia, cough, dysphagia, compared with non-athletes who have had vocal cord dysfunction. It can be caused by irritants, typically within 24 hours of exposure to some inhalational irritant. This could be like ammonia fumes, someone who's soldering, cleaning chemicals, aerosolized machining fluids, construction dust, smoke. It's likely an acute issue. Now, some patients will say that their ongoing symptoms relate to a remote inhalation insult. Honestly, this is probably not the case. Some patients may experience vocal cord dysfunction because of reflux. It's kind of related to GERD, but it's technically laryngopharyngeal reflux, so the contents come up and touch your airway structures. It's not really known if this is a true proximate cause or worsening factor yet. Patients can have vocal cord dysfunction after a neurologic injury or perhaps after thyroid or cervical spine surgery. And then vocal cord dysfunction is related to but not caused by psychosocial and stress disorders. This includes anxiety, depression, and others. Vocal cord dysfunction is not considered to be a form of malingering. These patients are not doing it for secondary gain per se. In one case control study comparing adolescents with vocal cord dysfunction to those with asthma, the vocal cord dysfunction cohort had higher levels of anxiety and more frequent diagnoses of generalized anxiety disorder and separation anxiety. To further complicate matters, you may see vocal cord dysfunction concomitantly with asthma. There was one study that showed that in a group of asthmatics with suspected vocal cord dysfunction, up to 75% had it based on laryngoscopy. It's really hard to differentiate from asthma, but ultimately we do know that asthma responds to bronchodilators, you know, albuterol, or a reasonable course of corticosteroids when the patient is symptomatic. You know, pulmonary function tests should improve when you get a bronchodilator. Um, if you don't see improvement after a short course of steroids, you know, dexamethasone or prednisone within five to seven days, or substantial improvement in lung function, eh, you may not be dealing with asthma, you may be dealing with something else. Ultimately, the diagnosis of vocal cord dysfunction requires seeing the patient while they're symptomatic, and then carefully differentiating from upper and or lower airway obstruction. So you can do spirometry in the ED. Ultimately, as suggested by both Christopher from New England Journal of Medicine and Doshi from the Annals of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, you'll see a decrease in the ratio of the forced mid-inspiratory flow, called the FIF50, to the forced mid-expiratory flow, the FEF50. That ratio should be greater than one. You may want to get a respiratory therapist to help you do this. If that ratio is low, it indicates upper airway obstruction, you know, causes such as subglottic stenosis, vocal cord paralysis, 
or vocal cord dysfunction because there's adduction of the cords. You can get flexible fiber optic laryngoscopy at the bedside while the patient is symptomatic. You can try to provoke symptoms with exercise while the patient is symptomatic if you suspect an exercise subtype. Now, it's hard to do in the ED, but maybe you get them to climb stairs or jog in place. A careful review of the history will show that patients with vocal cord dysfunction will have a fluctuating course. In contrast to asthma, patients with vocal fold motion disorder will subjectively have more difficulty on inspiration rather than expiration. Again, there's minimal response to aggressive asthma treatment. There have been patients with this disorder that get intubated and sent to the ICU because there is the thought that they have severe asthma. Especially with that back history, it can make communicating the diagnosis of vocal cord dysfunction very difficult. The first thing you have to do is convince the patient and parent of the validity of the diagnosis. This is not something that the patient is faking or making up for attention. This is often hard to do because, again, it's been delayed and presenting across multiple visits. Especially if patients have a past history of aggressive asthma treatment, there are going to be ingrained beliefs that their health depends on asthma meds. Especially in the emergency department, I would recommend, and expert do as well, to not stop controllers. Leave that to the outpatient experts. You have to explain things in a non-judgmental manner. An analogy that may be helpful is that muscle spasms in the neck and shoulder can be related to stress. I think most people understand this. So you're not making these muscles spasm. Stress just makes it worse. You can explain that the vocal cords and the muscles surrounding them will behave in a very similar fashion. So the acute treatment really centers around reassurance and supportive care. Many patients that I evaluate with vocal cord dysfunction are already asymptomatic and the diagnosis is suspected based on history. If they are symptomatic, you can have them pant. That can help actually abort an episode. Panting activates the posterior cricoarytenoid muscles, causing abduction of the vocal cords. Patients with more severe symptoms may respond to CPAP or even Heliox, though this has only been shown in case series and is not widely available. Long-term prevention, which ultimately leads to fewer visits to the ED, requires a multidisciplinary approach. Speech therapy can make and reinforce the diagnosis. They can help the patient regain laryngeal control. Rescue breathing for episodes can be taught to most patients. These include techniques such as rhythmic low abdominal breathing to help prevent episodes, whole body and intrinsic laryngeal muscle relaxation techniques, vocal hygiene, you know, like no screaming, and voice retraining. Patients can learn to abort episodes. And even though you may not be able to teach them this in the ED, it's important to communicate this because it will help parents understand why they need to follow up with speech therapy. Biofeedback using video laryngoscopy can show some patients how these techniques can help their vocal cords move more normally. Psychotherapy is important as an adjunctive therapy to help identify psychosocial triggers. Patients can learn to gain control of perfectionist tendencies, for instance, or learn about their emotional responses to stress. When you are seeing a patient in the emergency department, it's important to screen for suicidality or 
other concerning mental health behaviors because you do want to address those in the ED. Know, though, in the long run that psychotherapy alone is not an effective treatment for the diagnosis of vocal cord dysfunction. It must be combined with other modalities. In contrast to the spontaneous versions, patients with exercise-induced vocal cord dysfunction don't respond to speech therapy techniques as well. Generally, symptoms resolve when exercise stops, but they want to keep exercising. So in that cohort of patients, use of an anticholinergic aerosol treatment, Atrovent, ipratropium, when used before exercise, 20 to 30 minutes before getting started, can prevent vocal cord dysfunction episodes. This may work because there's a vagal reflex related to this particular subtype. Overall, though, the long-term outlook for resolution or accommodation of symptoms seems very favorable for both the spontaneous and exercise-induced phenotypes of vocal cord dysfunction, and those are the two that you will most often see in the emergency department. All right, so in summary, vocal cord dysfunction, also known as paradoxical vocal fold motion, is really a clinical presentation with a broad number of phenotypes. Patients will present to the emergency department with difficulty breathing that is almost always identified as wheezing, but it's actually strider caused by paradoxical adduction of the vocal cords. It's got a number of triggers, but the key to making the diagnosis, especially in patients with a prior history of asthma, is taking a great history. It is easier to make the diagnosis when patients are symptomatic, and you can use bedside spirometry or video laryngoscopy to help make the diagnosis. Know that speech therapy is the key to treatment for the majority of patients with spontaneous symptoms, though that may not work as well for patients with the exercise subtype. Psychotherapy is important as an adjunct of therapy, especially for patients with anxiety, depression, or other mental health problems. Well, that's all I've got for vocal cord dysfunction. Check out PEMblog.com for more great educational content. Follow me on Twitter at PEMTweets. I'd love to continue the conversation. And leave a review on iTunes. I'd really appreciate the feedback. For PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, this has been your host, Brad Soboleski. See you next time.